Welcome to episode two of The Process. Who is Amante Martin? Trust the process. Tay, and this is episode two of the process. Hey, what's going on, Tay, man? So let me let me ask you a few questions today, man. So where you from, Tay? Man, I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. You know, the capital city, eight five zero. So Tay, how was it growing up in Tallahassee? Man, growing up in Tallahassee, man, it was fun. You know, my life at the time evolved around FAMU. My granddad was a principal at FAMU DRS, and then he went to work for uh, President Humphreys as a fundraiser. So every time, you know, he was on campus, I was trying to be on campus. He always took me to, you know, fundraisers. Um, he started the the FAMU uh, greeting center in the airport at the Tallahassee Airport. So I used to go over there and see him uh, set up the furniture, get the furniture, and set it up. And, used to drive around people when they come into town, you know, like Bill Cosby or any speakers that would speak at commencement. He would go to the Cadillac dealership and they'd give him a Cadillac and he'd drive him around. So I was always on FAMU campus. My mom worked in the ID office. So she did all the IDs for the students. So I used to sit in there with her all day long after school. Then I walk over to a dude, Soul Train. Soul Train used to sell snacks. Uh, under the tree in front of the library. So I used to walk over there to Soul Train, get some snacks, go back in the office. And even younger, when I was growing up in Tallahassee, my uncles, I was probably three years old, four years old, by the age of our son. And my uncles used to take me on campus to pick up the girls on set Friday. So I was always on campus, you know, growing up in Tallahassee was cool. It was weird because, you know, you got FAMU and Florida State in the same city. And I never seen FSU campus. I mean, I passed by, but I never been on FSU campus until I met Reese. And so it was just a weird dynamic between FAMU, Florida State, and my high school I went to, they called it mini Florida State. You know, you had a lot of, you know, wealthy students there. You know, we riding the bus, but some of them had Mercedes and everything like that. But, you know, it was, it was, it was cool. I grew up out in the country, almost in Bradfordville, Florida, about eight miles away from the Georgia line. So we lived in the country, man. Uh, we used to fish, hunt squirrels and rabbits, uh, do all type of crazy stuff like that, me and my brother. And, but it was fun. I, I enjoyed growing up in Tallahassee. Okay, 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 cool, Tay, cool, Tay. You to, now you told me, okay, how was it growing up in Tallahassee? And I think I want to know, like, what were some struggles you had to face growing up in Tallahassee? How was that? Yeah, my, my main struggle growing up in Tallahassee was you know, I grew up in a house, it was maybe 
six to eight of us in the house at one time. You know, I mean, I love my family, we were close, but you know, sometimes people need their space. And so when you're in a house with that many people, you know, everybody is kind of vying for their space, you know, elbow to elbow all the time. And so that was hard. And then growing up, you know, with my mom, a single parent home, you know, not talking much. I was always quiet. So I always like bottled up my frustrations. I didn't talk that much. And that was hard for me, you know, and moving around a lot, uh, not really interested in school. So, you know, dealing with that pressure of, you know, being a man in the house, but I'm in the third grade. And so it, that was hard for me. I needed guidance in my life. And another thing was just running from expectations. Uh, you know, I'll probably talk about more about that as this podcast go on, but, you know, just coming to terms with expecting expecting stuff from myself and, you know, fulfilling the expectation. Okay, okay. I mean, it seemed like you had to deal with a lot of stress, you know, dealing with a lot of people living at home and everything like that. I mean, that probably could be a lot of It can be real stressful, um, I would think, you know. So I wonder, yeah. how did you cope with that stress? Honestly, at first... I didn't know how to cope with the stress because I was so young, you know. But looking back at it, you know, I had outlets to cope with that stress. One outlet was football. Uh, growing up, I always liked football. I heard my dad play football. He actually, you know, got drafted to the Bills in 1990 from FAMU. So, you know, I always heard about that. And so I, I always wanted to play football. I love watching football. I wanted to play football and that was my outlet you know, just to get away from the outside noise was to strap on the pads and you try to run through somebody, you know what I'm saying? That was that was my outlet. My other outlet indirectly was um, during any break that I had during school, spring break, summer break, any kind of break, I would go to Orlando with my uncle. And you know, at the time he owned a little business called Conquest Couriers. And so I just ride around with him, you know, watching him, he was an entrepreneur. So that kind of gave me a little entrepreneurial spirit, but it was just it was just to get away you know that was my coping mechanism was football and just being able to get away with family you speak, you speak a lot about you know you mentioned football your dad was drafted to the bills were you good at football i mean i wouldn't know that question <laughs> man looking back at it and like i said football was a coping mechanism and so i took it serious but I, I think only gave maybe 50%, 75% effort because it was coping mechanism. I didn't know what it took to treat football as an occupation. So I say I was okay. You know, everybody, they look back at football, look at back when they played a sport. They, oh, I was the best out, man. I was Herschel Walker out there, but no, nah, I was I was average. I say I was average. I was I was okay, um, but I didn't, I didn't become a good football player until um, I went to Fort Valley and I really started to put in that work. But I'll say I was average. There's two sides of football. In order to play good football, you have to make good grades and everything like that. I think the viewers and everyone want to know, okay, we know what type of football player was. You got to cross with your average football player and everything like that. What type of student were you? Uh, were you good in school? Were you bad in school? Did you like school? How was that? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I had a bad I had a bad taste in my mouth with school. Um, I quickly found out that you can't be an athlete without first being a student. But at the same time, I was not a good student. And it was just because, you know, growing up in a single parent home or growing up with six to eight people in your household, you know, it's hard to 
you know, find yourself and find your space and find your voice. And so with school, I was I, I, I really didn't like school. When I went to school, you know, I was a Christmas tree on a lot of tests. I wouldn't take it seriously. I was always in IEP meetings with my mom and teachers. Not saying I was a bad person, but just I wasn't in tune. I, was, I wasn't engaged in school. I wasn't motivated to participate in school. It just, I just didn't like school at all. And the only reason why I probably went to school is because I had to and I could play football. And so I wasn't a good school student at all. Um, in high school, as a matter of fact, um, you know, approaching graduation, I was approached by, at the graduation practice the day before graduation, I was approached by my guidance counselor and she told me that I didn't fulfill the requirements to uh, graduate. So I couldn't walk across the stage. And so that was a big blow for me that, you know, I invited all my family members, did all this, you know, oh, I'm about to graduate, sending out invitations. But at the end of the day, I couldn't walk across the straight the stage. So that was a blow for me. Wow, that's amazing. You know, I know you a lot. I mean, I have grown to know you. And I know you had to go get your GED. You know what I'm saying? I know that's a that's a struggle in itself. So yep. going from getting your GED to pursuing your PhD, what was the process? Like how how did that go about? Yeah, so as I said, after that graduation incident, so this was in, you know, you graduate high school, maybe May. In June, weirdly, it's a weird story, but in June, I was at FAMU taking, you know, general education classes during the summer. But mind you, I didn't graduate from high school. And so at the time I was taking the classes in the daytime and at nighttime I was taking GED classes and so the GED classes kind of outweighed the college classes. And I was just so focused on trying to just get through the GED so I can go out, you know, out there with the football team. So I got my GED um, and I was kind of failing in school. You know, I wasn't doing too good in school. And, you know, I was kind of running away from expectations. And those expectations was my granddad and my dad. And so on the football field, you know, my dad, like I said, he got drafted by the Bills. And so everyone, every time I went on, a, like, around anything with football who knew my dad, it was like, oh, that's little, you know, Amir's son. That's little Amir's son. And I ran away from that expectation because I felt like my dad didn't raise me, so I didn't want to be compared to him. And it was just, it was really just the expectation of what he, his legacy that he left. And then on the campus, on the university side, my granddad, as I said, he was just locked in from, you know, being a, uh, principal until working with the president of the university he was Mr. Martin on campus everybody knew who Mr. Martin was and so me getting my GED I feel like in that academic setting you know I couldn't live up to that expectation so I ran away from that expectation and so I ran away from my expectations when I got my GED um, and I went to Fort Valley State and at Fort Valley State, I had a great time at Fort Valley State. I met, you know, some people who I call today my brothers. Shout out to G, Chris, and Real. You know, we had a good time. We were the Florida boys up there. I had a good time. But again, I failed to uh, realize that you can't be an athlete without being a student first. And so when I went to Fort Valley, um, I started to treat football like an occupation. I was working out real hard. You know, I was running a lot, working out a lot trying to get on the football team because I had a clean slate, I had my GD, but I neglected the classroom work. I didn't go to class at all. And so, you know, I ended up almost flunking out of there. And then I came back to Tallahassee. 
So when I came back to Tallahassee, I had to finish what I started at FAMU. And, you know, I was already in a hole. My GPA was, I probably only had one C out of however many credits. So my GPA was horrible. So I had to start to dig myself out of that hole. Um, I started to take classes. In that semester, I started to take classes. I met Reese. Um, I was working at the Home Depot in the Garden Center. And, you know, I was trying to figure out how do I, how do I become a student? I didn't know how to be a student. As I said, I, I had this bad relationship with academia and being a student. And so I was like, how do I, how do I become a student? How do I make myself learn? And so when I met Reese, I, I watched her a lot. I watched her grind. I watched her stay up late and do her paper, stay in the library all night, you know, studying. And, you know, that motivated me. That showed me, you know, okay, this is what you need to do. Just like I did at Fort Valley to learn how to become a, a good football player or treat it like an occupation. I had to learn how to do school that way. And so first and foremost, I had to learn how to be a student. And so I learned how to be a student. And I was in landscape design at FAMU, but I couldn't find an internship, which was the hardest part for me. I couldn't find an internship. And so I created my own business, um, putting gardens and installing, you know, landscape designs at people's houses. So I, I draw a design, they come to the Home Depot, I'll pick out the plants and then I'll go to their house and install it. And so that's why I was making a little income, but they got rid of the program. And so I had to switch to agricultural business. And you know, when you're in school, you graduate and you try to get a job. The first thing they ask you is how much experience you have. And I'm like, I just did all this work and now I got to get experience, a job experience. I was in school, how can I get it? And so I tried to get an internship in ag business. Um, I reached out to the Florida Department of Agriculture, and I emailed everybody's name that I came across on their website, just asking them if they would, you know, be willing to have a volunteer come in just to gain some experience because I'm in school. And luckily, you know, like two weeks later, they called me in. So I worked for the Florida Department of Agriculture while I was in ag business for about six months for free. And so I worked there for free. I just got, I gained a lot of experience about the Florida Department of Agriculture. And at the end of that semester, they offered me a job, but the job was only worth like $30,000. And I, and you know, I said, you know what, I need to, you know, stick to the process, stick to get my degree. And I need to, it was a full-time job. And so I was like, I need to go back to school and continue to do what I'm doing. And so that allowed me to put that on my resume as, you know, I have some work experience. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was still in ag business. I was like, I don't want to work for the Florida Department of Agriculture, but you know, I'm just going to keep pursuing this degree. And so luckily I got a chance to go to Cape Town, South Africa uh, with the study abroad program at Florida a University. And that program changed my life. Uh, we were there for two weeks. The first, we were there to study agrarian land reform policy. The first week we were there, we met with policymakers, um, educators and non-educators. So what was going on in South Africa they just had the uh, end of the apartheid in 1994, uh, which is like segregation. And what happened was they were giving land almost like reparations back to previously disadvantaged people. And so what you were seeing was somebody who, for example, was working at Walmart. They were a bag person or a cart person at Walmart. But then after the apartheid ended, they can apply for this program and now they own their own Walmart. And so now you have this person who was doing this one job to owning and trying to manage this whole corporation, which was the farm, trying to manage a farm. You work, you went from a farm worker to now you owning your own land. And so what was happening was they were getting their land back, but then they couldn't sustain themselves on the land. And then they had to end up giving the land back to the government on top of owing loans from, you know, 
from taking out the loan to start the farm. And so we went over there to study the policy to see if it was effective, what they could change, and to make put our input on you know what we thought about the policy. That was what we did the first week. The second week, we went to a primary school because I was in agricultural business. I taught the students agricultural marketing, how to market their produce to their community to make their um, school financially independent. And also the produce that they had from their garden went to their cafeteria for their food feeding scheme. So they fed their students from their garden. And so I fell in love with, you know, policy. I fell in love with school and community gardening and you know, how can I use my education to uplift the community? And so when I came back to the States, I decided to um, major in, I went to Purdue University and I decided to get my master's in agricultural education. And I want to see how school garden programs um, relationship to students engagement and motivation. So I went to South Africa, my research was on school gardens and how do you gain a career um, skill from the garden to how do you, how does the garden relate to students' engagement and motivation to participate in school? And so once I did that, again, I came just, I just fell in love with research. I fell in love with, you know, the community and helping them to engage more in school. Because as I said, I hated school. I felt like I wasn't engaged. I felt like I wasn't motivated. And I felt like this was a way to give back to the community through my research to kids who were going through similar situations as myself. And so I came into um, the University of Florida. I wanted to study food access and food policy. And with food um, insecurity, looking at why we have a lack of access in communities when it comes to healthy and affordable nutritious food. Because as I said, you know, growing up with my mom, I remember single parent home, we're living in Orlando we used to have to walk like a mile to the bus stop. And on our route to the bus stop, I used to stop by the gas station and get a chocolate milk and a honey bun. And I would get on the bus and then I'd walk to school. And so reading my research uh, in school, you find out that those kids who eat more sugar tend to do poorly in school. And so I wanted to see how I can use my research to, to better understand the dynamic between, you know, grocery stores, food access, SNAP, WIC programs. And so that's where I am now. And I just, you know, kind of found my passion, found, you know, I had to learn how to be a student first. I had to become vulnerable, you know, to, you know, constructive criticism, be vulnerable too, because as a single parent, living in a single parent home, I didn't talk much. And so just learning how to, you know, find my voice and, you know, find those resources uh, to aid me in my, you know, my pursuit of my PhD. Early in your, early in this question right here, you, you talked a lot about Reese. I don't think the viewers know Reese is, and I, I, I know who Reese is, but can you tell the viewers who Reese is? Yeah, Reese, man, that's my wife, my beautiful wife. I'm in Virginia right now. She's in the internship in Miami. I miss my baby, but that's my wife. Uh, she, she has her own struggles, you know. She lost her mother at a young age. Uh, I have to get her on the show so she can tell her story, but we'll just leave it at that. That's my wife and, uh, and my inspiration. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, I, now that we got that cleared away, right there, <laughs> man. Now we had to clear that one up right there, yeah. man. Yeah. We're saying Reese a lot. You know, I want yeah. the, uh, the viewers to know who Reese is. Uh, how, what would you tell the old Amante? What was some advice would you tell the old Amante? Honestly, that... I thought about this question a lot when I um, when I went to pursue my PhD. I thought about this question a lot. Half of me was like, I wouldn't tell them nothing because 
at the end of the day, if I tell him something, he might not, you know, I might not have my son. I might not have Reese. I might not have made the mistakes I needed to make to be in this position. Uh, but half of me would have told him, you know, just stick in there, you know, speak up, express how you feel, but just know it's a process. You know, it takes time. You know, this, this life that we live, it's a journey. It's like a track meet. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you know, you just got to keep running. You got to keep, keep the pace, be consistent, but don't be scared to make mistakes. Oh man, that was great, man. You did a wonderful job, man. Hey man, I know the, I know the old Monte would be great for the new Monte, man. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, what initiatives would, would you promote for the youth? Yeah. So, but yeah, about my uh, PhD journey, you know, that one thing I failed to mention was one thing that kept me on my path was I didn't walk across the stage in high school. And so my goal was always to walk across that stage. So that was my whole mantra going into everything. That I was like, I got to walk across that stage. I got to walk across that stage. But for the youth, I think that I think I think their programs need to be addressed for the youth and for older students. So for the youth, I think looking more more into you know the dynamics of single parent households. I think there are a lot of stressors, a lot of uh, things that that a lot of people aren't aware of in terms of what single parent children and what single parents go through, especially as it relates to like budgeting, financing, um, and just education. You know. When that when that student comes home and the parent is still at work, you know that that's a missed opportunity to help the student with their homework. So you have different. I think it needs to be different programs to address that. I think it also needs to be programs geared towards giving scholarships to those students who don't have that 3.0 GPA. Like I said, when I came back to FAMU, I think I had one C and all Fs because I didn't go to class at all. But so my cumulative GPA was horrible. But each semester when I got back to FAMU, I didn't make less than a 3.0. So to see how you can work with either through a program or some type of scholarship with those students who are trying, who are trying to get their GPA up, who are trying to finish just to get that extra boost of confidence. Because it's interesting because when I got back to FAMU, I learned how to write. I was an okay writer, but I learned how to write because each semester, my GPA was in a 2.0. My cumulative GPA was in a 2.0. So each semester, I had to reapply almost to FAMU and write a long essay on why I wanted to be in school, why I wanted to attend FAMU, and, and what did I change differently about the semester before so I can get my grade point average up above a 2.0. So I get a 3.0, my GPA go from a 1.7 one semester, then a 1.8, then a 1.9. But, you know, mind you, I'm getting 3.0s, but my GPA is slowly going up and I'm still having to reapply each semester. And so, you know, tirelessly, tirelessly trying to, you know, walk across that stage. And so I think it needs to be programs geared towards, you know, helping those individuals who don't have the 3.0 GPA, but who are still trying. And lastly, I think for students who are 25 and older and who want to go back to school as a freshman, you know, it's a stigma that, you know, quote unquote, they're old, but you know, they're never too old to go back to school. And, you know, you always need to, you know, know what's going on and stay current of, of you know, of whatever job you want to go into, whether it's business or, or finance or even architecture, engineering. I mean, just programs to facilitate that transition for older students who want to go back and not who, who are, not consider, I guess, traditional students and not just online programs. Cause you know, it's a lot of online programs, but if they want to go on campus, like what kind of programs can nurture that transition 
from you know the workforce or give them credits for the work that they're doing and help them make that transition in the school man you're a good source of inspiration man hey man i know that journey man you got a difficult you got a difficult journey difficult story and you had a lot to tell the people you know what i'm saying yeah. man i mean man, do you have any siblings like I mean, what, were you the only one? I mean, like, man, you got a lot to say, man. Like, I mean, what was it growing? Was growing up? Was it like mom sat down and put all this only into you? And dad only put everything into you. Like, now, do you? I, I want to know. Do you got any siblings? Anybody else that you could credit to your success and how you move and where you operate? Yeah, I would. Honestly, I would. I would credit my whole family for my success because even if they didn't directly influence me, I watched a lot of things. I stayed quiet and I just learned. I lived and I learned. But I do have siblings. Um, my cousin. We were born on the same day, three years apart. So ever since I was born, we celebrated our birthday together. I call him my brother. Um, we have a tattoo, the same tattoo on our left shoulder. But uh, yeah, man. Every, growing up, everything that he did, I wanted to do. Um, I remember. He used to get his dad's car. We were probably he was probably 13, so I was 10. We would drive to Walmart and just play around in Walmart like one o'clock in the morning. But it was just fun. You know, we grew up, we fished together, hunted together, we just did a lot together. We was always together. Uh, so I got him. So shout out to Sam and my little sister. Uh, she's preparing to go to college. And so I'm just trying to get in her head that, you know, she has to trust the process. You know, it's not gonna be easy. Is not it's, it's going to be difficult and sometimes you just got to pray and trust that you know i'm going to get through this regardless and also that she needs to find happiness within her within herself because humans as men we always will let people down and if she just finds happiness within herself she will get through it i also have a um a stepbrother two stepsisters and a stepbrother amir uh is he plays running back at the universe uh florida state university i was going to say the university of florida go gators but He's at Florida State University. He plays running back. Um, I have another sister, Amira. She lives in Tampa. And then I have a little sister named Mira. She lives in Miami. And so, you know, I don't have a close relationship with them as I should. It takes a, it's a two-way street with the relationship. And I blame myself just because, you know, going through my struggles and going through my struggles with trying to build my relationship with my dad, you know, I was caught with always to myself. So I, I, I do need to reach out to him. That's my goal within the next year, year and a half, is to, you know, build that relationship with my um, half brothers and sisters. But, but yeah. So, Tay, you talked a lot about your grandparents. You talked a lot about your mom. You even talked about Reese. So what's the relationship like with your dad? Right now, it's still up in the air, to be honest. Um, you know, like I said, I grew up in a single parent home. My mom was young. And you know, when you're in a young, those young relationships, it's hard, you know, it's hard to maintain a relationship with someone you're not married to while also trying to raise a child. And so, you know, they went their separate ways. You know, they had their disagreements or whatever they had going on. So it was hard for me to build a relationship with him because, you know, they had that disdain for each other. But, you know, one one key moment in my life was before I got married, I was in South Africa and Reese called my dad while I was in South Africa. She called him crying, talking about, you know, we about to get married. You know, I want Amante to be, you know, a sound a sound husband. And I want him to be able to, you know, at least try to reach out to you to, 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 to mend a relationship with you or at least to start a relationship with you just so you know, when we get married, that piece of his life can, can start to move in a different direction or he could just get some closure. And so I got I got back to uh, the States 
And I got a text from him and, and you know, told, telling me what happened. And I called him and we had a couple conversations, you know, just, you know, we, 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 we talked about a lot of things, but I feel like we didn't, we didn't progress as far as um, mending those wounds, you know, healing those wounds from so long ago. So right now it's up in the air, you know, I don't know if I want to continue to pursue that because I feel like as a father now, you know, I see that it's a two-way street, you know, it takes both parties to want to make a relationship work. So right now it's still up in the air. Wow, wow, man. I hope y'all get that together, man. I hope y'all get that together and you get on, on board, you know, and continue the process. Being married and pursuing a PhD, what compromises or sacrifices did you have to make? Hey, that's a good question. You know, when you think about pursuing a PhD, you're thinking about, you know, how rigorous it is, how hard it is. But, you know, my wife is in law school. And so we've had to make a lot of sacrifices being married. And that's what, you know, marriage is about. So our first sacrifice, you know, she sacrificed, you know, putting her career on hold to move up to Iowa with me during my internship in Iowa with Monsanto. And then I started school in Indiana at uh, Purdue University. You know, she still had her career on hold, you know, while I was pursuing my master's degree. But once I finished my, like right when I was about to finish my master's degree, we had our son. And so she moved to the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida to pursue her law degree. You know, I had to watch our son. So for a whole, almost six months to a year, you know, I had my son you know, by myself um, while I was finishing up my thesis, my master's degree at Purdue University. And now turn around, you know, we're I'm in Virginia right now, as I said, and she's in Miami in an internship, but she has our son this summer. You know, it's just always good to have that companion who understands the struggle with you. And we just compromise that way, you know, it's all about compromise and communication and, you know, just keeping each other first you know, we're still learning. We're, we've only been married now, going on, what, three years, three years. And, it's, you know, it's a compromise. Marriage is a compromise. You know, you married this person to, you know, help them fulfill their dream while you also fulfill yours. So it's tough sometimes, but those are the, the main sacrifices. It's just, you know, swallowing your pride and say, you know, I got to do this for my better half so she can get what she needs accomplished or her doing the same thing, you know, and, and that's what we that's how we live right now. So. <laughs> Are there any lasting words you want to leave with the people? Yeah, the lasting words I want to leave with the people. Um, you know, what you think you become. Um, for the longest time, I didn't know what to think of myself. I didn't know, you know, if I was an athlete, if I wanted to be a street dude, I didn't know what I wanted to be. Uh, but I know one thing, when I changed my mind and made my mind up that, you know, I wanted to pursue education and pursue a PhD, I started to become that. You know, at, at FAMU, when I first went to back to FAMU, every Friday I would dress up in slacks and a button up just so I could feel like a businessman because I want to change my mindset. And so I think it's important, whatever you think about yourself, you will, you will start to become. And you have to start with what you have, where you are. You know what I mean? I'm still learning how to write. I'm still learning how to public speak, but you have to start somewhere and, it's, and you just have to make mistakes. You have to be willing to fail. Don't be scared of failure. Failure is the only way you can, you can know your flaws. You can learn your flaws and correct them because if everybody was perfect, everybody would be, you know, a millionaire out here, but 
you live and you learn. That's the biggest thing I live with people. Don't be scared to make mistakes, what you think you will become, and don't be afraid to live and learn. Hey, that was a powerful message, Tay. And I hope everyone receives those messages and they understand those messages and use them in their life and, and perceive and push them forward. And I hope we learn more about you as this podcast go along. That concludes episode two of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and like us on iTunes. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot skip experiences. You cannot get to results without experiences. Got to go through it. You cannot get to results without experiences. And the experiences will be, watch this y'all, they will be what they are. Because this is what God does. Have you ever, have you ever taken a stick of, of, uh, of butter and like picked it up and just bit into it? But just thought of it sounds nasty though. Yeah. Have you ever taken an egg and just cracked it and just took the yolk and just poured it in your mouth? Sound like a hot mess though. Don't really sound delicious though. <sighs> Have you ever took your hand and stuck it into a bag of flour and I do like a, a sand? See, flour right there. And then put it in your mouth, right? It's not gonna taste good, right? So if you take a stick of butter and bite it to it, it's gonna be nasty. You take an egg and break it, stick it, throw it in your mouth, it's gonna be nasty. Take some flour and put your hand into it and eat it, it's gonna be nasty. All of those things are nasty, aren't they? Right? They're nasty on their own. Have you ever had cake? Cake tastes good. <laughs> huh? But everything that I named on their own was nasty and didn't taste good. That's right. But they are the ingredients. They work together. They work together. They work together. So what the master chef does, y'all, wow. is he has this bowl and he knows there's the right amount of tears, mm. right amount of persecution, mm. right amount of disappointments, right amounts of humiliation and anger. And in this bowl, he's taking all these things that on their own are nasty. Mm. On their own, they don't taste good. But he knows the right amount and the right agree. The right amount of embarrassment, the right amount of failure, the right amount of despair, and he's putting it in his bowl. And over time and over process, he's making it, and he's doing something with the things on their own that are nasty. Thank you. But together, they make something that tastes good. But if you stay frustrated by the ingredients, you never get to the end result of that cake, which is your life. And people need your ingredients so they can eat off of your life. And the reason why a lot of people in our industry, in our world, are not really having the essence of God is because they reject the ingredients. Mm. And you can't reject the ingredients and have a good tasting life. <laughs> you can't reject the ingredients. Because when people cut into you, there will be no substance. You'll just be another voice, you'll be just another sound. But if you do not reject the ingredients, It'll be something in your tenor. It'll be something in your tone. It'll be something in your sound. And people want to be able to dig it. It's like, what is that? What, what, what is that thing? Jesus. And that thing will be the ingredient.